Ramble. Ramble. If I offered you two different pairs of jeans and I told you that you can only wear one of them, you could probably decide in two seconds. But what if I offered you a thousand pairs of jeans and they're all slightly different and I said you can only wear one of these for the next 12 months straight. This will be your go-to pant of choice. What are you going to do? How do you even start to choose? That's exactly what I felt like when I was combing through thousands of listings whenever we were moving to a new apartment. I would spend hours a day stressing about, is this apartment in a good neighborhood? Is it going to accommodate my dogs? Does it fit my budget? I didn't know any of these. And the worst part is most of the listings didn't even tick all of my boxes. That is why Apartments.com is your best place to look for your new home. Apartments.com lets you filter your search based on whether you have pets, if you want a balcony, built-in AC, whatever it is that you're looking for. The website remembers your search so that you don't have to keep filtering every time you come back. And Apartments.com has more rental listings than anywhere else, meaning no matter how specific your needs are, they got you. And your instant alerts mean that you can spend less time online looking for the perfect place and more time doing you. So if you're looking for a new place to call home, head over to Apartments.com, apartments.com, the place to find a place. Bada bing, bada boo. Welcome to this week's mini-sode of Rotten Mango. I'm your host, Stephanie Sue, and let's just jump right into the case. Jason had been pulled out of class by the campus police. They wanted to talk to him. Some police officers came by. We're looking for Jason Batista. I'm saying it wrong. I'm sorry. But what could it be about? They were confused. Jason is not the type to get in trouble. He was a straight-A student. He was here with financial aid. He had two part-time jobs to support his family. He was part of the chemistry club, for crying out loud. Like, that's what this kid did in his free time why would the campus police or the local police department have anything to do with jason well what's the matter officers listen jason we're gonna be honest we're worried about your mom someone called to report her missing what my mom someone was it one of her boyfriends she's in corona with her other boyfriend right now I, i i know it sounds a little bit weird but She's a little bit boy crazy. And, you know, as her son, I don't even blame her. She hasn't had the best luck with guys. My dad committed suicide when I was younger, and she's still kind of recovering from that. Okay, Jason, that's fine, but we need to make sure that we cover all of our bases. Why don't we go home, search the apartment, see if we can find any clues to see where your mom might have potentially gone? Yeah, yeah, I mean, of course, I'd be more than happy to help. Like, I definitely don't want to see my mom missing or anything. Jason was calm, he was cool, he was collected on the outside, but on the inside... He was panicked. You see, Jason hadn't gotten rid of his mom's head or her hands yet. And what if the police officers find them in the closet? As always, full source notes are available at RottenMangoPodcast.com. But yes, you guessed it. There's a really good book on this case. It's called Such Good Boys by Tina Derman. Now, when I tell you that this is such a good read, I'm talking one of the best deep dives on this case out there. I think because this case has a lot of layers in terms of mental health, I think just reading this book was just a big wake up call to the things that we already knew. You know, the mental health then and still now, the way that it's treated, it's not great. I mean, it's just asking for something to happen it's causing a lot of suffering for everyone the person dealing with the mental health obstacle but also those around them and this is like the exact situation of that so let's get into who was jason's mom jane patista let's start with her childhood because i think it's really enlightening there's a lot of crazy stuff that happens she was born in this incredibly small town in illinois to a very very wealthy family actually her dad's name is don osborne he worked for a local boating company he had a very modest 
job, but his parents, they were filthy rich. They were loaded. They had founded and run the company called Funderburk Builders. It's a really intense, fun name, okay? It's a construction company that was doing so well, in fact, that realtors in the local area, they could charge, they could upsell a house just by labeling it Funderburk Built. Like they would put that on the front top line of the house description. I mean, it was one of those companies. It was making a lot of money. Now, Jane's mom, Nellie, was a stay-at-home mom, and she was known to be a very no-nonsense type of person. She was super involved with the kids' lives, almost a little bit too involved. She would also later butt heads the most with Jane. I mean, Jane was the type of kid that really liked to question things, that liked to talk back. She was stubborn. She was just really out there, and Nellie hated it. Nellie got along better with her other daughter Deborah. this is jane's older sister and they grew up practically with anything that they could ever want they had nice expensive clothes they would go to nice private schools they would go on these lavish vacations to mexico with the family every single year and in this small town that they're living in, in illinois jane's family is really well known and everyone would say about jane's mom in particular that she just cared a lot. Nellie cared a lot about what other people thought of her and her family. She just wasn't the type. She She's not the type that wants to relate to you. If you were to go to brunch with Nellie, she's not going to sit there and say, you know what, my daughter's been stressing me out too. You're right, Catherine. I feel upset with my husband too. She's the type that would say, oh, no, we're all doing great. Thank you so much for asking. Just very, very private. Doesn't like to air out her dirty laundry about her kids. So Jane grows up. She She's bright. She's outgoing. She has no trouble making friends. She's kind of considered the ringleader most of the time. She has a bit of a temper. So people just kind of let her take charge, like her friend group. When she got mad at you, she was the kind of person that could pull away real quick. Like she could detach in 0.2 seconds, not even think twice about it. Like, what does that mean? Like, you know how when you're in a relationship, you're like, oh, but this person, I love them. I don't want to go. But she's the type, if she's over it, she's like, okay, bye. <laughs> like a friend, friend hurt her feelings. She's like, okay, I'm done with you. Okay. She's not the type to be like, oh, but they texted me that they're sorry. What do I do? Yeah. That's, so know? she's like the opposite of you. Yeah, I'm pretty fine too, okay? <laughs> so she ends up at this super exclusive private school. The parents had to pay a big tuition to get you in, but you also had to pass two different exams. One was academic. That makes sense. The other one was religious. Like you had to prove that you were a devout Christian. And Jane aced both of them. She was actually really intelligent. She took a ton of advanced classes for her age. Everyone called her Mother Jane. Because she loved to give out advice. She was mature for her age. She was always level-headed. She knew how to take control of a situation. So everyone would come up to her. Jane, what should I do about my boyfriend? What should I do about this friend? And it happened so frequently that most of her days after school were just her on the phone giving her friends boy advice. But her friends slowly started realizing... Okay, that's cool, but I have no idea about Jane. I know nothing about this girl. That's weird. Now that I think about it, she knows my fights with my family, my parents, my friends, my boyfriend, and I know not one single thing about this girl. They didn't know if she had any dating problems, if she was dating, if she was interested in someone, what was going on in her family. I mean, Jane was super private. She was incredibly mysterious. And I think I think that made her more popular because she was tall. She was skinny. She had this wavy, long, naturally red hair. She had blue eyes. So she was conventionally very beautiful. And add on top of that, she comes from a very wealthy family. She's like the very secretive. It's like one of those movies on Netflix. I don't know what movie. I was going to name one. <laughs> like, <laughs> like Pretty Little Liars. No, I don't like know. Queen's Gambit. Yeah, Queen's Gambit, but richer. 
So after high school, she gets into University of Wisconsin, and it's about an hour drive north of her house. And her whole plan in life was to become a teacher, a language teacher, perhaps. She loved languages. She was already fluent in Spanish. She has no like Spanish blood, you know, so she really went out of her way to learn it. She was very smart. Then that's kind of where everything started to spiral like just out of control. It was like things were just chipping away at Jane nonstop. She stopped going to her college courses. She would actually be enrolled in college for the next decade, for the next 10 years, and she would not graduate. So it was just on and off. She started fighting more with her family, especially her mom, Nellie, who she was so mad at. Okay, so she resented Nellie because Nellie always had a favorite and it was very clear. Deborah was the favorite. Now, I don't know if you know this. I'm sure you do because we watch Netflix movies. It's because, you know, when rich families, they have a family, they have a favorite child. It gets a little more tense. Like, you know, I feel like Jane felt like Deborah was going to get the inheritance. Deborah was going to get a lot more land because their family was that well off. Whereas Jane was going to get cold rice. So she was upset by this. I mean, why? You have two kids. Why don't you just treat them the same? I mean, it doesn't make sense. But it did to Nellie because get this. It's hard to blame Nellie. So there was this instance. Jane had asked to borrow Nellie's car. She's like, Mom, can I please take your car? I got to go on a date. Now, Nellie normally is always like, yeah, yeah, go ahead, Jane. No problem with it. Borrow my car. But this particular night, Nellie's like, wait a minute. I already made plans with my friends. Like, I'm going to go out and have a day not being a mom for once. No. Can you get a ride or I can drop you off? Maybe your dad can drop you off, but I need the car today. Jane gets so mad. She looks at her mom and realizes that she had just been told no, and she explodes. She screamed so aggressively for so long that Nellie was terrified. She felt like Jane, her own daughter, was becoming unpredictable over a car. I mean, she's like, well, it's okay, Jane, calm down. Maybe we can figure something out. You, you know, it's not because I don't want to give you the car for the night, right? It's, it's that I already made plans. I can't cancel. Here, come on, Jane. I don't know, maybe you're going through some things. Give me a hug. Nellie reaches in to hug Jane, and this sent Jane over the edge. She starts punching Nellie's head and stomach so severely that Nellie had to be escorted to the hospital. She gets treated for multiple cuts and bruises, and the police were never called. Because like I said, Nellie doesn't like to air out private family matters. So since that moment, I mean, the relationship just never recovered. Deborah was close with her mom. She's always been close. She's the type that's like, mom, you okay? Like, what'd you eat for lunch? You know, Jane didn't want to be around Deborah or her mom. Felt like Deborah was a traitor. Deborah, you're a kid too. You're supposed to be my sister. You're supposed to be on my side. It's us against the parents. Why are you taking mom's side? The only person that could somewhat calm down Jane was her grandma, May. So Grandma May and Jane had this really close bond and Jane loved going over to the grandparents' house to just do these small chores because at the end of it, Grandma May would slip her a bunch of cash. She'd be like, here, take this, which I'm sure was quite a bit. She'd, say, oh, she'd always say, this is for my girl and would just stuff cash in her pockets. The grandma and grandpa are the wealthy ones. Yeah. Okay. So while Jane's in college, she meets her future husband, Armando Batista. Now, they had some friends in common, but Armando was actually not a college student. He was working as a local handyman. He had recently immigrated from Belize. He had um, immigrated with his sister in order to find a better life. And he was broke. He had no college education. He couldn't even afford it. But he was really good at his job. And he was just trying to make ends meet. He was trying to be a part of the American dream. Now, if you compare that with Jane's family, he really didn't have much, you know? He, I don't know if her family would have been content if she brought him home, but he felt so lucky 
that Jane was interested in him. And it seemed like that's kind of exactly what she wanted. Mm. Her friend said that she always tended to date a lot of lower social class guys, which sounds horrendous. But I mean, who even cares about that thing when you're dating? It's not like we're in the 1800s. Nobody cares about social class. But people said it was strange because Jane didn't do it for love. It just felt like Jane did it because she could have the upper hand in the relationship. She could feel superior or she felt like her partners were more likely to put up with her abuse if they were of a lower socioeconomic standing. And she liked being the dominant one. So after one year of dating Armando, they travel all the way to his home country, Belize, and they get married. Now, Jane's only 19 years old. Not a single member of Jane's family was there. And honestly, I don't even know if they knew until after the fact. So you're thinking, okay, well, maybe Armando's parents are over the moon. They're like, yay, wow, American dream. Like you fell in love and she's beautiful. You know, all of these things. She's American. But they were not happy. They hated Jane. Armando's family did not care that she was upper class because she was rude. She was mean. She was despicable. So Armando's parents had offered them to stay at the family house while they were in town. And I'm sure the house was not up to Jane's standards of being an upper wealthy class woman. But they just wanted to show their hospitality. Mm -hmm. So of course you just go because these are your in-laws. You don't say no to your in-laws. Are you kidding? But Jane demanded Armando get a hotel room for them in Belize. But I mean, this could have been fine if Jane was paying for it. Or if she knew that Armando could afford it. But he couldn't. So Armando had to ask his super sad mom, can I borrow money for the hotel room because my wife doesn't want to stay with you guys for meals, for taking her shopping around town. And it just left this like really nasty taste in his family's mouth. Like just what's wrong with this girl? Mm -hmm. So the couple return to America and they start their newly married life, which was not spectacular. Jane's parents cut her off once they found out that she had gotten married. Now, they did not cut her off emotionally. It was just one of those situations where they were like, hey, I think it's time for you to be an adult. I don't think you're good at money management. I don't think that you're appreciating our generosity. I think it's time for you to get a job and just have a taste of life, right? I really don't think it's like, Armando is not up to standard. I'm going to cut you off of the inheritance because he's, you know, not rich. I don't think it was that. So she went from being in this upper class family, having the best of the best things, the best expensive clothes, to essentially being in poverty with her new husband. They moved into a low income housing complex called Hickory Manor Apartments, which like, I don't know, the name is a little strange, okay? So because Armando was only working odd jobs here and there, there just wasn't a stable income. So Jane gets a job at an electrical plant. She's working in a clerical position at Cherry Electric, but their finances would only get worse because after eight months of being together, Jane gets pregnant and she gives birth to Jason and she starts panicking. She calls her up her high school friend, Joyce, and is like, can you watch my child while I go to work? Now, it's kind of implied that this whole exchange was free. Like Joyce was like, sure, like I have kids of my own. So I guess what's another one? So she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it only lasted a couple of days because Jason gets a diaper rash. You know, when you don't change their diaper enough, uh, they get a rash on their butt. Yeah. And Joyce is so confused because she said, anytime I change my kid's diaper, I change Jason's diaper. I mean, they're the same age. Yeah. I change them as often as I do my own baby. And my baby's doing fine. I don't know. I'm so sorry. And Jane just looked at her in a very calm, scary voice. Said, it's okay, Joyce. I'm not upset with you at all. I just think it's better that someone else watches him. And leaves. 
within a few months, Jane is not liking this life. She's like, really, Armando? Like, you couldn't all of a sudden make a million dollars because I have a baby? She was very upset. So she takes the kid. She takes Jason. She leaves, gets her own apartment, applies for government assistance, and is trying to make it as a single mom. So Armando's coming home from work every day. She's gone. The child is gone. He's depressed. He's like, this is the love of my life. These two are the only things that matter in my life. Like, I I, I gave up my family to be with this woman. They were so mad at me. They hated Jane. So he finds her and he's like, please take me back. What did I do? I'll do anything. I'll do anything you want. I'll pick up after myself. I'll work harder. You don't even have to work anymore. I will work 20 hour shifts like I I can do it. But she kept pushing him away, literally shoving him away, shoving him out of her apartment, shoving him through the hallway, threatening to have him deported if he keeps this up, which wasn't true. I mean, you can't just like threaten people here on green cards to deport them. It's a very Karen move. And he was scared, though. He didn't know. He didn't know how much power she could have. So he goes back home and for the next couple of days, he can't stop thinking about it, how much he wanted to be with her and his child, have a happy family. And in one last desperate attempt, he tried something. That day, Jane had gone to work as usual. She after work, she picks up Jason, runs some errands, and it's around 6 p.m. when she finally starts driving back home. Now, wherever she was in the city at the time, she would actually drive past Cherry Electric, her workplace, to get to her apartment. So Mm -hmm. as she's driving by, she hits her brakes, slams them. Are you freaking kidding me? Armando came to my workplace. What's wrong with him? This is so unprofessional. I'm not even at work. What if he goes inside asking to talk to me and my coworkers are like, Ugh, what's wrong with her? Jane did not like that. You know, mm-hmm. she didn't. She Maybe she was like her mom. She didn't want her dirty laundry out there. So she pulls over, gets out the car and she's storming to Armando's car, just like stomping her feet in the parking lot. He better not have gone inside. And then she gasped in horror. There was blood all over the inside of his car. He had taken his own life oh in the car. Oh my gosh. There was blood all over the car seats. Rigor mortis had already set in and she didn't know what to do. So she panicked. She did the right thing. She called the police. They found a suicide note, which was a two-page note talking about how um, he just couldn't live without Jane. He said things like, living without you and Jason is as good as being dead. I've come to terms with myself and the fact that I'll never be happy without you. And the note ended with, you're all I ever wanted. So the police come, they run a standard investigation, but they were very quick to rule it a suicide. I mean, it was officially ruled a suicide, but neighbors, on the other hand, family friends, on the other hand, I mean, I think that this situation is really messed up. The fact that all these neighbors and these family friends did this, but they started whispering. Jane has always been so private and weird, and sometimes she's very stoic. She doesn't show a lot of emotion, expressions. They they were having trouble. They were constantly fighting. Maybe, just maybe, it wasn't a suicide. These, this was like the town gossip. Which is really horrendous, you know, especially when the police ruled it a suicide. I'm sure if it was still an open investigation, I mean, yeah, you have your thoughts, but keep them to yourself, Karen. So Jane starts retreating away from her social circle, just not talking to anyone, not trying to connect with people. It was described that she had almost fallen off the face of the earth. People that knew her said, I have no idea where she went. Like, she just disappeared. She starts getting by with her part-time job. She gets financial aid from the government and her grandma. And she would randomly get motivated and start attending college classes again. And then she would stop and then she would start. The only person that kind of kept her around in her life was Armando's sister, who's also living in Illinois. Now, Armando's sister really blamed Jane for her brother's death. 
she didn't think that Jane murdered him. But I mean, you know, with the suicide note, it seemed like because of their relationship, he was dead. But she wanted to be a part of her nephew's life, Jason's life. So she's like, I got to just put up with Jane. I mean, this is his mom. I can't delete her off the face of the earth. If I want to be with my nephew, I got to talk to the mom. So she would invite the two of them over to get for get togethers, family gatherings, friendly gatherings. And at one of these get togethers at Jane's sister-in-law's, okay, mm-hmm. she meets another man named Jose, a 24 year old who worked at a sheet metal factory. He had immigrated from Belize with his mom. And he was immediately taken by Jane. I mean, everyone, all of his friends kept telling him, you better watch it with this girl. And he did not pay attention to any of them. He didn't believe them. He was like, ah, you guys are obsessed with gossiping. Like you guys, you guys just, maybe you're jealous. I'm a grown man. I do what I want, mom. Like even his mom was telling him, you better watch out for this girl. But he was like, mom, I'm a grown man. What? So he asks out Jane and they start dating. Now it's said that they had a great time. They had fun. Jane was actually super happy during this time. They would go on these cute dates at the beach and Jose treated Jason like he was his own son. Jane would even pay for all their dates because Jose wasn't making a lot of money. And Jose really, really, really liked her. He even cut out all the drinking in his life. He had been abusing alcohol for years. But the minute that he met Jane and the minute that he found out that Jane had a kid, he was like, oh, I can't I can't drink because his dad growing up was a raging alcoholic who beat him when he was drunk. So he's like, no, if I'm going to be a good father figure for this kid, I'm not going to drink at all. Wow. So, yeah, very admirable for the first three months. I mean, it was straight out of a romance novel, but just for those first three months, because then Jose moved in and he finally saw what everyone was talking about. Her temper. Oh, my God. It was out of this world. This is how he describes Jane. She could be two different people. She had a personality. Very nice. Okay. Two seconds later, she was a bat out of hell and I couldn't please her. Then later she would feel sorry and she would start crying. So it's just a lot. Jose thought, okay, it's it's not that alarming because it's probably still PTSD from Armando's suicide. I mean, think about it. She even forbade him from ever mentioning Armando's name. So in one of those weak moments when Jane is crying, you know, he thought, okay, maybe I can I can help her with the trauma. I can I can help her get over it. Hey, Jane, why don't you want me to ever mention Armando? Is it because even the act of bringing up his name is too much pain? Is it the thought of it is, it hurts you? Is that why? Is it because you're not over it? It's okay, you can open up to me. And in between sobs, she looked up and said, oh no, that's not why. It's because I hate that motherfucker. Oh. So from that point on, Jane thought, well, if you brought it up, I'm going to start bringing up Armando. And she would accuse Jose of being just like Armando. Anything that he did that she didn't like, she would scream, just like fucking Armando. And Jose noticed a pattern. Anytime that he was showing affection or hanging out with Jason, Jane would get mad at him. Jane didn't just hate Armando. Jane hated his son, which happened to be her own son, Jason. What and he's like, world? he's just a baby. It's not his fault. Sometimes Jose would be playing with Jason and Jane would scream, what are you doing? He's not even your son. Sometimes Jose would spend what very little money that he had to buy Jason a toy or to pick up his favorite meal, hamburgers. Jane would freak out. Why are you doing that? Why are you spending money on him? Don't buy him anything. What's wrong with you? Jose could not report her because at the end of the day, she was still considered a competent care- caregiver. 
she was not showering Jason in love and affection, but she wasn't technically neglecting him. He was bathed. He was fed. He was properly dressed. He was clean. So technically, CPS is not going to do anything. Even if CPS knows you're abusing kids. I mean, these days they're like, okay, bye. Have a good one. I do think that's why Jose worked so hard to fill that emptiness for Jason because he was just always super anxious, seemed vulnerable. He was always wetting his bed. And that's when the physical abuse started. When Jason would wake up to having wet his bed, I mean, they all knew that Jane was going to beat him up. She felt it was embarrassing. How dare you wet your bed at three years old? What am I going to, what if people find out? And she was ruthless. She would beat him with anything that she could find. I'm talking wooden spoons, belts, anything near her that she could grab. She would use it to beat him. Jose said that once when Jason was young, he was uh, naturally curious about his body parts and he would kind of look or stare with his own private part or he would kind of like not play around with it, but kind of like shake, you know, like just like, what is that? And she had caught him in this very natural, vulnerable state where you should be telling your kid a very healthy explanation of what that is. Instead, she beat him so bad, tied up his hands in a corner so that they were up in the air so that he couldn't use it to touch himself and left him there for the rest of the day. And this just really messed with Jose because this kept triggering all of that childhood trauma that he had when he was beat by his own dad. So he would confront Jane about it. There would be a super nasty fight. She would scream at him. It's none of your fucking business how I raise my son. After months of witnessing this type of abusive behavior, I mean, he just couldn't do it anymore. He had to leave. And then Jane tells him, but you can't leave because I'm pregnant. So he stayed. He tried to be excited for this kid that he was going to have about him going to be a dad. He also felt like, okay, well, maybe with a newborn, Jane's going to be different. Maybe it was hard for her because Armando left in a very, very painful way when Jason was young. But now, now Jose's there. Jose can help her. They can really be a family unit now. And then Matthew Montejo was born July 4th. Now we're just going to call him Matt for the rest of today's video. Now, Jose prayed and prayed. This is what their relationship needs, right? It's going to work. And for a while, it worked. Jane was so affectionate. She was a doting mom. But heartbreakingly, she only did this to Matt. She did not care about Jason still. He was still being beat for wetting the bed. He was still being ignored when he wasn't being beat. And Jane would just have these periods where everything seemed fine. She almost seemed happy almost. Not at Jason, but at the world. And Jose tried to use these times to get to the bottom of her temper. Are you sure it's not childhood trauma? Are you sure it's not the suicide of your late husband? Let's talk about it. But just like she was in high school, she was so secretive. She refused to tell him anything. He didn't even know anything about her family. He just knew that sometimes her grandma gave her money. He had no idea that the grandparents were filthy rich. Nothing. All of her personal information was locked up in a filing cabinet that only she could open. Why is she so secretive? I have no idea. She just doesn't want to open up at all. Yeah, but then it gets weird later. I love meal deliveries. In fact, I love everything about having my meals delivered straight to my doorstep, except the delivery fees. That's why I signed up for the Dash Pass, an exclusive membership from DoorDash that lets you make an unlimited amount of fee-free orders for eligible orders. Whether it's food from your favorite restaurants, groceries from across town, or anything in between, the Dash Pass can get you $0 deliveries and lower service fees on eligible orders. That means you can easily save money at your favorite restaurants and grocery stores the dash pass practically pays for itself in two orders on average the math 
is mathing. Plus, Dash Pass gives you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, and all of this for only $9.99 a month. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for Dash Pass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. My dog Mango has been with me through some really crazy times in life. I mean, she's been with us for the past 10 years. If you guys don't know, Mango is my little French bulldog with half hair. Okay, she's fuzzy only half the time. And she is literally the glue of my family. I have quite literally named an entire podcast and a YouTube channel from my dog Mango. She is the reason that these channels exist. But three years ago, Mango was diagnosed with this autoimmune disease and she was always at risk of excessive bleeding. Her fur was falling out in clumps. It was it was a pretty stressful time in my life. I was constantly emotional about Mango being in pain and then I would be, get so stressed out every time I started going over the vet bills. Every time we took her to the vet, it was like thousands of dollars because her condition was so difficult to treat. And I am just so thankful that we had savings to cover it. I wish I had known about Spot Pet a few years back. It would have just eased so much of that stress. Our partner, Spot Pet Insurance, is here to share a message today on how they are a secret weapon against the unexpected. Because with Spot Pet Insurance, you can get up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills. Our dogs are always there for us during our hardest times, and we need to be there for them too. Go to spotpet.com today and get a quote instantly. Visit spotpet.com. Paid ad from Spot Pet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductibles, coinsurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit spotpetins.com slash sample policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. The only thing that she does kind of open up about is uh, Armando's suicide eventually. And this is Jane's version. Honestly, this is the remix, okay? So she said, I was working late that afternoon at Cherry Electric and Armando had driven into the parking lot and tried to call me out to talk to me. And I, I left the building. I got into his passenger seat because I'm like, oh, God, I don't want to I don't want to create a scene for my coworkers. So I'm sitting in the passenger seat of his car. Jason's in the back. And I talked to him for a few minutes. And at some point, while I'm sitting in the passenger seat, he takes out the gun and he shoots himself. What? Jason was in the back and I was next to him. There was blood everywhere. We saw the whole thing. I was hysterical. So I got out of the car. I pulled Jason out. I ran away with him. We drove home. But then I was like, wait a minute. I should probably call the police. So we drove all the way back and called the police. But because I didn't want to, you know, stress out the, the police and make it seem weird. I just told them that I found him already dead. So she changed her story Years later? Yeah. So the speculation is either this is what happened and maybe this was like a, one of those situations of like egging someone on to commit suicide. Maybe she had mm. egged him on in the car or she's just lying. And so she claimed that's why she hates Armando so much because he killed himself in front of me. And for me, that left me traumatized. Jane also spoke terribly of her own family. She said that she hated her parents because they only liked Deborah. So for example, when Deborah got married... Her parents got Deborah a car and a house and land as a gift. And she got what? A freaking stand mixer? A blender? Now, to be honest, I do think that's unfair, but I'm sure there was a reason. Maybe they felt like Jane was irresponsible with money because she was, you know? But I don't know. I don't know why they did that. I'm going to be real. That's kind of messed up. So she would say, I'm smarter than Deborah. I'm more deserving, but it's always Deborah, Deborah, Deborah. They always love her more. 
She would insinuate to Jose that it's because her parents were evil and they were racist and it is because she had married someone that was an immigrant. Now, that's not really true. I will say that I put a lot of blame on her parents for not getting her the help that she needs, but they hadn't really cut her off because she married someone of a lower social standing and definitely not because of their race. It just seemed like she wasn't she wasn't being a responsible adult. Now, do I think that they should have just cut her off cold turkey and not gotten her help? No. But that's, you know, that's a little weird. So Jane had gone to one of her very few visits with her family. Jose stayed home to watch the kids. And when she gets back, she's in one of the worst moods that he had ever seen him in. And she's just screaming, I hate my fucking family. I hate them. I'm never going to see them again. I refuse. So Matthew, who's only six months old, he's crying. I mean, he's, he hears his mom screaming hysterically. He's confused. He's a six month old. And she walks over, picks him up and she drops him. Now, was it an accident? I don't know. Jose didn't care. He was like, I don't care if that's an accident. Jane was abusing Jason and he was worried for all the past six months that Matthew would fall victim to her abuse too. So he gets up in Jane's face and tells her, the next time you do that, I'll kick your ass. And then he slapped her across the face. So she fought back. Jose grabbed her throat, threw her on the ground, and he retreated to the kitchen to cool down. Was that okay? No. But he goes to the kitchen. He's like, oh, I feel like I'm going to do something if I don't calm down. Jane follows him, grabs a knife and starts screaming, you're not leaving me. I will kill you before you leave me. And she had tears just streaming down her face. Now, this caused a bit of a ruckus. The neighbors heard this. This sounds alarming. Imagine you just hear through your walls. I will kill you before you leave me. Like, you're going to call the cops. So they call the cops. They show up. And Jose admits to hitting Jane. And he gets sent to prison for battery. Okay, I guess he is leaving her. Yeah. So Jane files a petition to drop the charges after he spends three months in prison. And Jose was released. And enough was just enough. I mean, this was good for no one. She, She was really bringing out the worst in him. I'm not I'm not saying that was okay. I'm just saying, you know, he's like, I know this is a bad situation and I got to get myself out of it. So he packs up his things and he leaves and she's just begging, please, you can't go. You can't go. You have to stay. I mean, this is the opposite of Armando. And so for the next couple of months, he tried to move on. But the only problem was in order to see his son, he had to talk to Jane. And so the more that he talked to her, the more that he felt like, okay, she seems to be doing good now. Maybe she realized that was really bad. Maybe she wants the family to work, too. For their son. So he gets a new job, offers to pay more bills. You know, Jane could stay home with the kids. Maybe the stress is causing her to be this, you know, wild. He worked as a technician repairing tires for large trucks. I mean, it's going to be good. So they move in again and Jane convinces him, you got to give me all your checks. I'm just better at money, you know? My family is good at finances. Sure, you don't know who they are, but they're filthy rich. So Jose would say that he would work 16 hours a day, but he just never saw a penny in his pocket. Like, not just one. She always took the check, and she just was gone. She would also say some odd things, like, the only God I believe in is the paper with the president's face on it. Which is very aggressive. Okay, very aggressive. That summer, Jose's ex-girlfriend, Sylvia, comes into the picture. Now, I mean, it shouldn't be that big of a deal, but Sylvia wanted Jose back. Sylvia was like, I want to date you again. I don't care that you have a kid. I don't care that you're dating someone else because we were good together. We had fun together. Remember all those good times? Jose, do you remember? And Jose thought, well, she's probably not going to just, she's going to leave us alone, right? But then one day, Jane walks out to her car. She's like, what's that smell? Oh my God, are those eggs? Her car had been egged and it would be egged two more times. By the ex? 
Yeah, by the eggs. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so Jose felt like it was Sylvia. I mean, but he tells Jane, I don't think there's a point in telling her to stop because she's not going to listen to me. So her car gets egged three times. Then Jane goes out to her car to go to work and there's a freaking note from Sylvia. And it said, hey, I'm going to promise you one thing, Jose's new girlfriend, and one thing only. I promise to beat your ass. <laughs> so jade's completely over it she files a restraining order against sylvia she begs jose to move with her to florida we need to go somewhere sunny a piece of paper is not going to stop your crazy ex-girlfriend you know what i want to move out of state florida's beautiful have you been to florida it's great now obviously jose was not excited about the idea all of his friends all of his family they were in illinois his job was in illinois not florida he didn't know anyone in florida so Jane convinces him, just take a two-week vacation with me there. It'll be great. And during this vacation, if you like it, yes, we'll make plans to move. If you hate it, we'll just come back to Illinois. So he agrees. They take the kids. They go to Florida. And during this Florida vacation, she was a different person. She was happy. She was affectionate. She was fun. She loved the ocean so much that she was like a kid. Like when Jose would be like, okay, we got to go to dinner now. She'd be like, no, like 10 more minutes, please. She did not want to go back to the hotel. And Jose fell in love with this side of Jane all over again. He's like, this is, this is who I fell in love with. Are you kidding? So they extend their vacation for another month. And the whole time they ate at nice restaurants and Jose was confused. He was stressed. He's like, when I get back, I mean, I lost my job. You know that, right? Because you just can't just take like a month vacation out of nowhere. You do know I lost my job, right? And she's like, yeah, yeah, fine. But we're here just spending a lot of money. I don't even know where you get this money. That's okay, Jose. Don't stress. I have plenty to cover our expenses. What? Where's that coming from? I said, don't worry about it. It's handled. So he doesn't ask questions. They stay in Florida for another month. And she went, uh, they go back to Illinois. And she goes back to being miserable. And this time she starts changing her tune. You know what? I don't want to go to Florida. We need to move to San Diego. I want to start fresh. So where does she get the money from? Her grandma. Yeah. Just oh. a ton of money from her grandma. So the family packs up their bags for San Diego. Jason's six years old at this point, and they drive all the way to San Diego from the East Coast. They take turns driving. Everyone sleeps in the car because they can't afford motels at the time. And it was a rough ride. I mean, the whole car ride, Jane is taking her anger out on Jose, punching him, hitting him, scratching him. He said that he would try to talk to her, but then eventually they just straight up had, it, uh, had a boxing match. Like they just straight up started boxing each other in the car while they're driving on the highway. When they get to San Diego, Jose finds a job almost immediately and Jane finds them a two-bedroom apartment. Now Jason starts going to school, but instead of being happier like they were in Florida, Jane starts acting strange, like really strange. She threw out any meat and insisted that all of them only eat lettuce and vegetables i mean okay that's fine super random it's out of nowhere but let's just do as she says she also still favored matthew over jason jose started to suspect it was colorism and racism at play because jason was a lot darker in complexion meanwhile matthew was more pale like jane he just couldn't think of any other reason especially because once they had moved to san diego jane became a raging racist to practically every single race okay but specifically Mexicans. Yeah, he was like, anyone who's Hispanic, she just didn't like, which is weird. She also said Jewish people were horrendous. I mean, she was anti-Semitic. She was racist. She was xenophobic. She was everything, okay? Now, it's clear something is going on with Jane. I'm not trying to excuse it, but something's going on. Jose knew it too, but Jane refused to get help. Or maybe she was too secretive to let anyone know if something was going on. Experts would later believe that she was suffering from paranoid schizophrenia and narcissistic personality disorder. 
So if that were the case, Jane is now in her 30s. She's not getting treatment. Things are only getting worse. Jose's getting sick of her ways. And she starts doing some very alarming things. She starts accusing him of cheating on her. And she was so obsessed with this idea that she would go through his things, his wallet. She would make up these random phone numbers, write them down on pieces of paper, and run to Jose and say, where did you get this? Who gave you their number, huh? Maybe she had gotten the whole idea from an incident that had taken place. When Jose was at work, he had befriended a male colleague who said, you know what, come over, let's watch the game. I don't know what guys say, okay? Let's play games, let's watch the game, something like that. And he wrote down his number for Jose, and Jane found it. Now she flipped out, and she called that number, and a woman picked up. It was the co-worker's wife. And she was like, oh, you li- oh okay, Jose, I think, yeah, I think that's, uh, he works with my husband, right? But Jane didn't care. Even when this whole thing was cleared up, Jane was still so upset. She grabbed a knife and stabbed through all of Jose's clothes, shredded practically every piece of clothing that he owned. So he's near his tipping point and he wants to leave. But she would scream at him, if you leave, I will march down to the sheriff's department and tell them that you're sexually abusing your son and you will never see him again and you will be deported. Okay, Karen. So with that, he said, the same thing. He said, okay, Karen. And he packed his bags and he left. Now, the next couple of months, it was going to be really rough for Jose. He would have to find a new job, a new apartment. And finally, Jane would have him visit with the boys. She would actually bring the boys to him to visit. And he was surprised that she allowed this. He, he thought for sure, no way in hell is she going to let this happen. That is, until he realized Jane was using every visit as a way to keep her eye on Jose. Make sure that he's not seeing anyone else. So one day he was working on his female neighbor's car and Jane popped in with the boys for a surprise visit and she sees this woman she sees the car and she looks at them back and forth in silence and then starts screaming who's this whore is this your new whore i mean he didn't know how to calm her down he's like what are you talking about this is my neighbor this is not a whore first of all and then you know the neighbor's probably like who are you calling whore you know like it was a he's like i don't know how to de-escalate this situation so he's like get into the car so the neighbor gets into the car he gets into the car and they take off okay he's just thinking let's just put some distance between me and jane but jane follows them and a high-speed chase ensues and it was only when the neighbor turned into the local police station did jane drive away A few weeks later, Jane stops by again. And this time she sees a woman leaving Jose's apartment and she was she was pissed. She said, you owe me child support. I want it right now. I'm calling the police and you'll never see the kids again. I want it right now. He's like, what? This is so random. I mean, this is supposed to be a visit. You should have told me prior to this. So he gives her all the cash that he had on hand. But was she happy? Absolutely not. She storms inside and starts going through his things. Is someone sleeping here? The next person that sleeps on your bed, I'll kill her. A killer. So she breaks his TV in his room, storms into the kitchen, and she noticed that Jose had been cooking dinner for two people. It was going to be a dinner date. So Jane picks it all up, smashes it onto the ground. And with that, Jose decided, this is horrible. He decided to punch her in the face twice. She ran off with the kids. Four-year-old Matthew saw the whole thing happen. And Jane rushes to the police and tells them, Oh my God, my ex-boyfriend beat me because I wouldn't have sex with him. He tried to rape me. Jose gets called in for questioning. The police show him a picture of Jane. Now, she had bruises everywhere, all over her body. Her entire body was black and blue. Now, it's speculated that Jane had given herself more injuries, which honestly, still not okay that Jose had punched her. But that's not okay either. 
She had added a lot for the police. Jose pleads guilty to felony spousal abuse and he gets one year in jail with a $100 fine, but he only spends three months in prison. When he gets out, he calls Jane to see if he could see the boys or see if she was okay. Maybe he should apologize probably for what he did. But when he dialed, her number was disconnected. He showed up at her apartment. All of his suspicions were right. She had vanished. She was gone. He had lost his baby boy, his entire family, gone. He would never figure out where she had gone with their kid until he would later see them on the news. But we know, we know that Jane not only moved a few miles away to a two-story house in a middle-class neighborhood, but she was living a huge upgrade from the apartment that she was formerly residing in, all thanks to her grandma. She was loving this new life. She dressed the part. She wore these short, stylish skirts. She kept her long hair curly. She it was always freshly done. The neighbors noticed that that her house was always a revolving door of people. That's what the neighbors said, not me. They said that she had so many guys coming in and out of that house, it was impossible to tell who was who. Okay, Karen, a little judgy there. That part, the neighbors should mind their own business, but this part I totally understand. The neighbors also stated that Jane liked Matthew more, and it was completely obvious. She would constantly tell Jason loudly so everyone could hear, Jason, you're 11 years old now. You're the man of the house. You have to go and take care of your brother while I go out. You need to do the cooking. You need to clean the house. What are you doing? He was, she was straight up treating him like Cinderella. She also forced him to get straight A's, which he brought home for her. He got straight A's all the time. And it's not because she cared about his future. It's because she could brag. Not even in the, oh my God, look at my son. He's so smart type of way. But Look, didn't I teach him well? That type of way. One time when Jason brought home a B in algebra, Jane was so upset that she grabbed a large kitchen knife and screamed, you'll never be good enough. Before threatening him, tying him up with 100 feet of electrical cord. 100 feet. She used all 100 feet. It's not like she just used three feet of it and it was a 100 foot rope. No, she used all 100 feet. How do you do that? He said it was like a mummy tied up left him tied up in 100 feet of electrical cord for four hours. So she probably forced him to stand there while she just went round and round and round and round. Anytime Jane was frustrated, she would lash out at Jason. Matthew was never really yelled at, rarely beaten. It was always Jason. One day, a neighbor saw Jason sitting on the curb sobbing. Oh my God, what's wrong, sweetie? Are you okay? Yeah. Then why are you crying? I can't get inside. Is your mom not home? She is, but I was making her mad. Now tell me why this neighbor walks away. It's like, okay, well, have a good time, sweetie. Walks back to her house and realizes that it would be nighttime until he's let back into the house. There was always cuts and bruises on Jason's body. I don't know why people didn't get involved, but they didn't. And Jane, meanwhile, is living up her single life, not even thinking about CPS because nobody's calling them at this point. And she befriends a freshly divorced neighbor by the name of Paula. Now, Paula is like, let's go to the clubs. So they these two, these two single people on the street they start hitting up the clubs they start shopping for clothes for the clubs her uniform on these nights out were usually leather skirts and fishnet stockings now this is a suburban neighborhood that's the same as going out butt naked to your mailbox you know they were really gossiping the karens were like can you believe it can you believe it her skirt didn't touch her ankles i mean what kind of <laughs> what kind of life is this the house prices i feel are gonna go down because for her they were just really upset she would endlessly jane would endlessly talk about middle eastern men they were her new obsession. Her only dating requirement was they had to be Middle Eastern because all Middle Eastern men were rich, she felt. They were going to treat her right. She even started taking Arabic classes. 
so that uh, she could meet a nice Middle Eastern man to shower her in gifts. Her favorite place to go on vacation with her new boyfriend was Las Vegas. She said the thrill of gambling away boyfriend's money was the best thing for her. That's crazy because like, I don't care whose money it is. I don't like gambling it away. Like even if it's someone I don't like, I'm like, God, money's still money, bro. Yeah, but she was like, no, I love that feeling. I love dating someone and just robbing them blind. Love it. It's great. So it's around this time. I love, just love seeing their net worth go down <laughs> yes, and down. Down and down. That's like very counterproductive. No. Yeah. <laughs> so it's around the time that Jason turns 13. He felt like something was wrong with his mom. Up until this age, he had no idea. He just thought that all moms are like this. And it all happened when he started trying to buy a pack of cards, like Pokemon cards. They're a dollar a pack. And Jane was furious. How did you buy that? How did you buy that? Huh? Are you, are you stashing money somewhere? Where do you have money? How are you hiding money from me? Where do you get the money? Are you stealing money from me? You're not supposed to have any money. You don't deserve any money. Where did you get the money? He's like, what's, what's wrong with you? She beat him so badly with a belt. It accidentally hit his eye, which caused it to swell shut. This wasn't even the alarming incident. This was just another casual day for Jason. The alarming incident happened when they were driving for a family trip to Las Vegas. It was just Jane and the two boys. And Jane was in a great mood most of the time. The boys were thankful. They were amazed. They loved Vegas. They had never seen anything like this. I mean, they grew up in a small town. They lived in San Diego. It's nowhere near as crazy as Vegas, right? It's beautiful, but not crazy as Vegas. They're just enjoying the strip. And on the last night of their trip, Jason is sitting in the motel room, Turning on the TV and a singer was performing a hit song called Barely Breathing. Jason was amazed. The vocals were there. The performance. Wow, the vibes. The the stage presence. But his mom pulls him aside and says, you know that guy? That guy singing? On the TV, Jason. Yeah. uh, I mean, I don't know him. She goes, well, let me let you in on a little secret. I know him. We met at a bar. We briefly dated. And you know all those songs that he's singing that you seem to love so much? Your mom wrote those. I wrote those songs. He used me. And now he's getting rich off of that. Okay. What is Jason going to do about that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. What is, what is this 13-year-old going to do about that mom, right? So he's super confused. What? And that's not all, Jason. Now he's trying to kill me. He's trying to kill all of us. Wait, What? So this kind of set her off. For months, she was paranoid that music industry executives were spying on her. Like out of nowhere, she stopped leaving the house. She stopped using phones, refused to let the boys use the phones. They were going to trace them through the phone. That's what she said. Do you want your mommy dead? They're going to trace us. They're going to kill us. She spent hours holed up researching this singer, buying his CDs, reading the cover sheets inside and out. She found his management firm in Boston. And she said, I need to put an end to this, boys. I don't want your money. Tell them. I got Tell them, boys. Tell the manager, I don't want his money. Just stop trying to kill me. Tell them. She looked up the manager's number, called nonstop. When she realized that Duncan, the singer, never wanted to talk to her, she told the boys it's because he couldn't admit that he stole her work. And from that incident, her paranoia only got worse. She was convinced that everyone was out to get her. She felt every single... I mean, how do I even... She felt that every single Mexican on the face of the earth wanted her dead. I just can't even begin to explain the generalization or the racism in that. I mean, we're laughing because of how ridiculous it is, as well as Jewish people 
She said that Jewish people hated her and they wanted to kill her. I mean, she was she's not doing okay, but these are horrible, horrible things to say. She said that she spotted strange men in her backyard spying on her. She would get her neighbors involved, police involved, but nobody ever saw anything. So that's when Paula, remember the single neighbor, newly divorced? Mm -hmm. Well, she had gotten into another relationship with a co-worker. This was her very first boyfriend after the divorce and they had broken off recently. She's like, oh, my God, what's happening to me? She's having like a midlife crisis. I'm going to be honest with you. So she decides to gather up all of her friends and said, let's go skiing in Big Bear. It's going to be great. It's going to take my mind off the breakup. Jane, why don't you come? Why don't you bring your kids? It'll be a blast. I know you've been thinking about a lot of things recently. You know, you've been stalked. It'll be fun. It'll be relaxing for once. But it wasn't. A ton of people went and they were all super depressed because the whole time Jane was just abusing Jason. The first night. Everyone was like, okay, let's sleep early so that we can head, hit the slopes early in the morning. We can go skiing early. Matthew, the youngest, he wasn't sleepy. He's like, I want to stay up. We're on vacation. I want to play games. So he's trying to keep everybody awake, even the adults. I mean, that's what kids do. It's kind of cute. But Jane heard the commotion, turned on the lights. What's the matter with you? You know better, Jason. You're the man of the house. You have to be responsible for him. Your brother's only nine years old. You're 13. You need to make sure he's not acting out. Make sure he's in line. What's really heartbreaking is that even with all this favoritism, Matthew loved his brother and vice versa. And a lot of the times, the only thing that kept Matthew from acting out and being a kid was knowing that his brother was going to be in trouble for his actions. So the next morning when they hit the slopes, somehow Matthew was naturally good at it. I mean, kids are oddly good at things. He's just zooming. Jason, on the other hand, probably didn't have the confidence to ski well because it had been years. His confidence was broken piece by piece, chipped away at. So he kept falling around. I mean, it's his first time. Can you blame him? But Jane would scold him every single time that he fell in front of everyone. She tore him apart. She would laugh at him, ridicule him. I mean, it was just uncomfortable. It was depressing. It was sad. And this is when everyone decided, yeah, after this trip, no one's going to be friends with Jane anymore. We're all going to distance ourselves. The last day rolls around. Something shocking happens. Jane announces to the group, hey, sit down, everyone. I have something to say. Paula. You know the guy that uh, you broke up with just now? And that's the whole reason you wanted to come on this trip because you wanted to get over the breakup, your ex-boyfriend? Well, I'm dating him now. Isn't that great? I hope you're happy for us. And I hope you don't mind. So she's a shitty friend. Too. Yeah. So Paula's like, what the fork? I mean, that's not okay. So they end up going back from the trip and she's trying to distance herself. Paula ends up dating a new person, you know, just trying to get away from Jane. But the next couple of months, Jane would frantically call Paula in all hours of the night screaming, the illegals are here. Mm hmm. She was referring to anyone who looked remotely Hispanic. She assumed that they were automatically Mexican and that they were here illegally. So, yeah, I mean disgusting the couple would rush on over which honestly i i wouldn't if you're like the illegals are here i'm like okay you racist you deal with it then have fun she's like there in the bush in the bush he's been living in the bush he sleeps there at night right there do you not see him they didn't see a thing police would get involved they never saw a thing one night jane knocks aggressively on her neighbor's door rosemary Listen here, Rosemary, it's all your fault. If you didn't hire those Mexicans to do your yard work, they wouldn't be living on my roof. What did she say? On my roof. They're living on my roof because you hired them to do your yard work. Not under your roof? Do they live with you? 
on my roof. How can I not be clear? And she just strutted off. So Rosemary, I mean, she's at a complete and utter loss for words. Jane calls the police to report that her neighbor Rosemary was hi- hiring illegal immigrants. The police did nothing because um, that's racist, ma'am. Jane also started standing in her yard in the middle of the night, throwing tennis balls at her roof, trying to quote unquote, hit the illegals that were living there. And nobody's calling anyone for help? Nobody's calling anyone to get her psychological help, like psychiatric help, which honestly, I mean, if this was happening with my neighbor, I would not think, well, first of all, you need to call CPS because she has children. Mm -hmm. Second of all, she needs help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's racist, but she needs help. She called another neighbor at three in the morning who happened to be a firefighter, the neighbor. And she says, listen, I've got my broom and I'm banging on the ceiling, but they won't get off my roof. What do I do? How does she have everybody's phone number? Yeah. But I guess nobody was bothered enough to call CPS. Jason turns 15 years old and he seemed to be the only one calling out Jane. He would say things like, Mom, you're acting crazy. You're nuts. There's no one up there. And she would scream, they're coming after me. Don't you understand? You're an idiot. She would kick him, shove him. You're against me, huh? If you're against me, then leave. Jane was so paranoid, she couldn't even keep up the maintenance of the lawn or the house. Her entire lawn by the end of the year was completely dead. And she was so worried that when she moved out, she wouldn't get her security deposit back. So what does she do? She goes out and buys the most expensive soil, lays it all over the lawn, and it didn't work. Because you can't just put dirt over a dead lawn. You have to like wet it first. I'm sure there's a lot of different things you got to do. So the soil ended up dying too. And she never watered her lawn. The strangest part of all of this was that the soil was more expensive than her security deposit. So she wanted to soil it to get her security deposit back. But she spent more money on the soil. When I was in high school, I had this ritual every day after coming home from school. I would grab a salty snack, sit down, watch my favorite mystery drama on TV. And recently I discovered the adult version of that, which at the end of the workday, I grab salt and vinegar chips, snuggle up on the couch, and I play June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden objects mystery game that makes me feel like I'm living inside of a mystery TV show that is very immersive. You play as Detective June Parker, and you just found out that your sister and husband were murdered. The This is a fictional story. So you fly from London to New York to investigate, but the clues are just not adding up. So you get to go through these series of scenes from the mansion living room to a lavish garden to a 1920s style New York cafe. In each room, you have to find hidden objects that help you solve the mystery of your sister's death. And in the meantime, a whole lot of unexpected, just scandalous twists are going to happen. There's family secrets, danger, there's romance. I love traveling all over the world with June. Currently, I'm exploring Paris in the 1920s because the game is set in the 1920s it just has the most aesthetic game design ever and it's so cozy whenever i need a break from the suspense i can pause the story and head over to my private island yeah they give you a private island and you get to customize it however you want for you i love cottage core mixed with that old money vibe with a huge mansion and a luxurious garden and even like this train rail june's journey is the best way to unwind at the end of a long day or just to take a break in the middle of the day when i feel overwhelmed i can escape all of my problems and turn into detective june discover your inner detective when you download june's journey for free today on ios and android 
One guaranteed way to make me cry is just remind me of the lifespan of dogs compared to most humans. Listen, my dogs, Mango, I know, Rotten Mango, and Tiger have been with me since before I started YouTube, before this podcast, and I truly don't know where I would be without them. But like, all I can do right now is spend time with them, take care of them so that they live the happiest and healthiest life that I can give them. Farmer's Dog is such a huge part of that. Farmer's Dog makes it easy to keep your dogs healthy, which can give you more quality years with them. So Farmer's Dog, they make and deliver fresh, healthy dog food, and it's recommended by vets. My vet literally recommended me Farmer's Dog. It's nutritionally balanced and made from human-grade ingredients in safe, clean kitchens. Tiffany has been bringing Cola, her French Bulldog, over, and she keeps some of his food at her house. She said that she's been having such a hard time trying to get him to eat, so I offered her some of Mango's food to give to him. She was amazed. She said that she's never seen Cola so pumped for food. Farmer's Dog is the best option for dogs at all life stages because it's it's not kibble, it's not canned goop, it's real food. With traditional dry or even wet food options, they're extremely processed. I mean, I can hardly understand the ingredients that go into it, and it's really hard to portion. It's difficult to understand if my dogs are getting the nutrients that they need. Farmer's Dog comes pre-portioned, and it's based on my dog's unique nutritional needs. So Mango and Tiger, they eat different meals, and it's so cool. Farmer's Dog is like human-grade food made in safe kitchens. My dogs have been on Farmer's Dog for years now, ever since Mango was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, and I just noticed so many changes. They've got a healthier coat, healthier skin, their breath is better, and right now, you can get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash mango. Let the Farmer's Dog know that we sent you, so use our code or click podcast after you sign up for your first box. That's 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash mango. Soon after that, Jane leaves the neighborhood and she starts moving all up and down Southern California. She would just have weeks where she's completely normal. She would take care of the house or the apartment that they're renting. She would take care of the kids. Then out of nowhere, she would start getting paranoid. And it was, it was, you know, when she's okay, she never mentioned anything about someone watching her, someone being in the bush. No mention at all. And it wasn't just all of a sudden. It would start slowly. Jason would come home and she would say, so our neighbor, he's illegal. And he knew, the kids knew that was the beginning of the cycle. She would slowly get more and more paranoid. She would yell at them. She would scream at them if they ever questioned the fact that their neighbor was allegedly an illegal immigrant. She would freak out. She would go berserk. She would threaten them. And then eventually they would move and the process would start over again. And these kids, they were miserable. They never really had a childhood. Jane never let them outside of the house when she was going through these periods because she felt like they were going to get snatched up. One of the neighbors was so concerned that she left a tape recorder outside Jane's window to record her own conversation. And um, I genuinely think that this is like a symptom of paranoid schizophrenia. So it also stated in the book that when you have paranoid schizophrenia, everyone's schizophrenia symptoms are a little bit different. And I think that's what's so hard about treating this. But with this one, um, it seemed like she just was very paranoid that people were out to kill her, including famous people. So people she saw on TV, she was convinced that they were out to kill her. Obviously, she needed to be helped. She needed to be treated. There's a lot of people with schizophrenia that live very happy, healthy, productive lives. And she just was not getting that help. So she's screaming inside of her house. And she's saying things like, oh, God, he knows where I've been. Please, no, you don't have to do this to my children. And then she would turn around and say, idiots, you fat lying weirdo. I'm sick of your fucking lies. Oh, you're a big man. You're going to go under because you're a liar and I'm going to make sure of it. There's no life. This is my house. So just leave. I can't take it anymore. What's happening? What kind of conversation is she having? I think she was hallucinating. 
with people who are trying to take her kids, trying to bother her, that have invaded her house, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then you hear Jason on the tape scream, shut up. Just stay there. Just stay away from here. I don't have any sons. They're losers. You ruined my son and you ruined me. I already have enough problems. I don't need a fucking weirdo trying to kill my sons. You're stalking me. You're putting poison in my drink. You're just evil. You're a filthy son of a bitch. You're a crazy criminal. I mind my own business. I take care of my kids and I make sure that they don't cause trouble. And Jason screams, that's enough, mom. Shut up. That's enough. Look around. Look what they've taken. The fucking front door. The fucking front of the fucking garage. The F word is her favorite word, by the way. I'm not throwing these in myself. And Jason screams, Mom? Mom? Oh, great. Here come the cops. And she stops talking. Now, it's unclear if the cops came or not. They did often stop by due to the neighbors complaining, so I wouldn't be surprised. But, I mean, I think that just goes to show she was not okay. There was something going on there. Finally, someone calls CPS. When the CPS worker gets there, before even getting to the door, Jane rushes outside, screams, get the fuck off my property. And oddly, they listened to her and they never came back. No freaking way. They were like, you know what? She seems like a very fit parent. You're right. Let's go. What do you want for lunch? You want to get Chipotle? Like what? What do you mean? Jane was terrified. She threatened to kill her kids if they tried to call the cops on her. Despite all of this, Jason is doing really well in school. He's almost an all-A student. He wants to grow up, be a lawyer or a doctor one day. He is getting bullied. He has no friends because he's forced to sleep out in the garage. So in the summers, it's super hot. In the winters, it's super cold. I mean, his life was rough, but he was just trying, trying his best to find the happiness in the small things. He loved going to Matthew for his hockey practices. Jason was never allowed to do these things, but because Matt was the favorite, he was allowed to join the hockey team. And that's where a lot of weird stuff happened again. When the hockey team asked for Matthew's birth certificate because they needed to file one, Jane refused. She said this is an invasion of privacy. She kept changing her numbers. So the hockey coach was like, I can't even get in contact with you. Like, that's dangerous. She, I mean, what, what is going on? Why do you keep doing that? And she would say, oh, nothing. The wrong person got a hold of my number. The parents would have pizza parties after their hockey practices and or games. And Jane would just sit on the side, very annoyingly sipping her Diet Coke. And when they would say, oh, do you want a piece of pizza? No, I can't afford it. They were a little bit confused. Okay, that's weird. It's free, no? Yeah. So Brad and Nancy, they were a couple, right? They had their kid in the hockey team and they invited invited her to lunches with her kids because they felt bad. They were like, oh, maybe she's struggling. Her Mm -hmm. hair was always messy. She was always showing up in these wrinkled clothes and her kids were so well behaved. They were so kind. I mean, so there must be something. These are good people. She's just under a lot of stress, I'm sure. So they keep talking to her and she opens about Armando's committing suicide, said that Jose was an uninterested father, deserted the whole family. She's a single mom now. But don't worry, guys. I'm super rich. I have all this money hidden away. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. So Brad is talking to her normally, and he's talking about how he wanted to buy a used Cadillac, but the car was going to cost him $4,000. And she's like, I can give that to you. And they were just kind of taken aback by this, you know? Like, it's fine, but also just strange. So like, okay, this is really weird. But, you know, they love the kids, so they're like, let's keep trying to... Let's keep trying. She would also tell the couple that these very powerful people in the entertainment industry are out to get me. You don't even know what these people are capable of. They're always watching me. That's why I move around so much. That's why I change my numbers. I can't even open my blinds at home. Can you believe it? Well, who are these people, Jane? Tell us who's doing this to you so maybe we can help. Well, let's just say you're wearing his clothes. Brad was so confused. He, he looked down at his clothes. I'm wearing a Ralph Lauren shirt. <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. So she was implying that Ralph Lauren himself was after her. Yeah, it's sad, but also funny in that moment because he's like, wait, what? I'm just wearing a polo shirt. Like, what's going on, right? It's a little confusing. Now, they weren't the only ones that dealt with this bizarre behavior from Jane. Jane had confronted another parent asking them, if someone came up in here and offered you $40,000, would you find them a way to give up Matthew? A pedophile wants to give you $40,000. You would give up my son, wouldn't you? You would, huh? What? What are you talking about? No, we wouldn't. Absolutely not. Safety is our priority. Are you? What's wrong with you? No parent here would give up another child for money. What? The same mom saw Jane looking off into the distance later at practice. So she comes up behind her and puts her arm on Jane's shoulder and says, Hey, Jane, you doing okay? And Jane turns around and Francine, this woman, said that she had never seen such anger. You like to favor your sons during practice, huh? You play favorites with the kids, huh? You're brown-nosing with the coach all the time. You're despicable. She's so taken aback, like nothing had happened. So Nancy and Brad, they tried for months to get a hold of Jane because she just ghosted hockey practice. I mean, so did Matthew. They were nowhere to be seen, out of the blue, just gone. So they're worried. They keep calling Jane, no answer, nothing. Then they get a call months later. It's Jane. It's so scary. I'm being followed all the time. I have to move. They're hounding me. They're like, Jane, let us help you. Where are you right now? Oh, no. They've gotten to you. They've turned you against me. They've turned you. And I think like we're laughing right now because it's not funny, but in the sense of like, how did no one get her help? Yeah. Like if this happened to me, I would not just hang up and be like, no, oh, that was a weird conversation yeah. and just move on with my life. I'd be like, we got to get her help. When did this happen? This is like in the 90s. Maybe it's just, you know, mental health is not as talked yeah. about. I mean, I'm hoping that's why. and I'm, I, But I do feel like these things probably still happen to this day. Yeah, that's true. So Jason, he's about to turn 17 years old. He had enough credits to skip junior year and just head right into senior year. That's one less year of high school, skipping a grade. He thought this is his chance. I have a 3.8 GPA. I could apply to college. I could get a scholarship. I could get a computer science degree. I could do anything. And he was so stoked, but a lot of people had noticed a shift in his personality. Now that Jason was a senior at high school, he started uh, changing. He didn't necessarily open up about what was going on at home, but he did complain all the time about his mom. And he also said that he was superior. Like he just had a weird, he had a weird egotistical air about him. His yearbook quote was, I, Jason Batista of unsound mind and lacking common sense, wish goodwill to few people. Instead, I wish bad luck, a lifetime of it, in fact, on a lot of people. And I laugh at the stupidity of the rest. Probably going through that age. Yeah, he's like really just going through that phase, right? He's like feeling dark. Jane didn't care. I mean, she was super busy with other things. She believed that the new male neighbor that they had that moved down the street was a pedophile and he was trying to snatch up Matthew. He couldn't be trusted. He w she would say things like, Matthew, do you hear me? Even your friends can't be trusted. They're all being paid to keep an eye on you. You think your friends are on your side? They're not. Jason would interrupt because he's like, you're, you're, freaking, you're freaking the kid out, okay? You're crazy. Nobody's out to get Matt. She's freaking nuts, Matt. Don't listen to her. Who got to you, Jason? Who paid you off? Who paid you? Answer me. At one point, she even threatened Jason with a knife and um, grabbed a hockey stick, hit Jason so hard on the head that he was rushed to the hospital. He had to get staples on his head and he had about a three inch scar that was left behind. Now, years pass. 
Jason starts working. He gets into college. He's working part time. He has his own car. And I think this is really important because it shows that Jason had the free will to leave. Now, am I saying he wasn't abused most of his life? Absolutely not. But I think in this situation, um, just keep this in mind for later. He had the will to leave. He had the means. He had the money. He was of age. He he really could have lived a comfortable life. Like the school was even offering him a dorm. So he could have genuinely have just left. Maybe it was his brother holding him back. I'm not really sure because Jane really loved Matt. Jane was never that abusive with Matt. It was always Jason. So keep this in mind. They moved to a new apartment complex and now Jane is convinced that their private lives were being taped inside their house and being streamed on Mexican TV stations. And when, yeah, when she was asked why or like how or what, she said, yeah, I know this is happening because the Mexicans all know me and they always look at me. Anytime I go out, the Mexicans look at me and they laugh at me. So because of this fear of being live streamed, I guess, on Mexican television shows, she started moving the family from motel to motel, like very dingy ones, ones without even hot running water. The boys were struggling. I mean, Matt pretty much didn't go to school because they were constantly on the move. Jason could barely keep up with his schoolwork. He was missing so many classes because they were always on the move. I mean, it was probably the worst time in their lives. So finally, the winter of 2001 rolls around and Jane knew that she had to get a place for the family. It was too cold to sleep in the car this winter. So they finally get a place. And at one point, Jason did try to leave and get his own place and it didn't work. And the only thing that he gained out of that was him telling Matthew nonstop, I wish you were dead. And slowly he started asking Matt, don't you think it would be great if we got rid of mom? I'm just saying, don't you think life would be much easier without her? Matt would say, I mean, I mean, yeah, it wouldn't be great if she got killed or something. But yeah, like if she was gone, it would be great if that makes sense. Like, I don't want her dead, but like, yeah, life would be easier without her. Matt was not taking Jason seriously at all. Even when Jason started bringing Matt to his college campus to use the computers there, Jason fell in love with this TV show called The Sopranos. It's like a very famous show. And his favorite episode was titled Whoever Did This. Now, the main character, Tony Soprano, Soprano would get into a fight with his henchmen. It's about like a mafia. It's about a mob. And he kills him. Tony kills him. Drags his body into the bathtub where he cuts off his head, saws off his hands, dumps the body. And it's kind of a mob style killing because when you get rid of the face and you get rid of the hands, it's very hard for the police to ID the victim. So Matthew, I mean, he's spending his time smoking pot with his friends, avoiding his mom. His GPA was like a 1.7. Meanwhile, Jason is trying to study. He's joining the chemistry club. He's making friends like he's finally having a normal life. I think he's having a taste of what life would be like without Jane. And for a time, and for the time being, it goes really well. Until one day, Jane accuses Jason of molesting Matthew. So sometime in November of that year, the spiral keeps going deeper. Jane keeps saying there's pedophiles everywhere. Anytime Jason tries to tell her, no, there's not, he gets accused of being a pedophile. So Jason pulls Matt aside and says, listen, I can't do this anymore. Can't you see what's coming? We're about to be homeless again. I can't move again. It's going to mess up with my grades. It's too much stress. It's going to ruin my life. We have to stop her this time. I think I'm just going to do it, but I need your help. To reiterate, Jason was 22 years old. He had money of his own. He had a support system of friends. He could leave. Yeah, his brother was there. Yeah, Jason was abused for a long time, but still he could leave. So Matt patiently listened to his brother thinking he's just venting. There's no way he's going to act on any of this. Who murders their own mom? Like, it's just maybe it's just a fantasy, right? He told him, I'm not getting involved. Listen, if you're going to do something, I'm not going to stand in your way, Jason, but I'm not getting involved. Like, you're, you sound crazy right now. January of 2003 rolls around. 
And Jason starts complaining more and more about his mom, but he seemed upbeat and happy. His friend said that he started humming all the time while he was reading his books, and they never really knew what he was singing, but it sounded upbeat. We later find out that Jason was singing, It really amazes me how I can kill a man and it doesn't faze me. So January 14th, Jason has a typical day, goes to study group, drives home around 7 p.m., sits down in front of the TV, and starts watching it. He had finally hooked it up to some cable. Jane's in the kitchen cooking pasta, and then she broke the silence. The man upstairs is a pedophile. I saw his picture in the paper. I'll prove it. I'll get you the paper tomorrow. You never believe me, but I'll get you the paper tomorrow. Jason said, yeah, just leave me alone, mom. I I don't want to hear it. No, seriously, I can prove it. It doesn't matter what you do, mom. I'm not going to believe you. I don't want to believe anything you say. So stop. The man is just a man. He's not a pedophile. Do you understand? I don't believe you. Yeah, Jason. Well, how do you think the man makes money then? They pay him. The entertainment industry people pay him. I've seen him digging through the trash all the time. Mom, just leave the man alone. He didn't do anything. Oh, I see now. It's you. You're the one being paid. You're against me all along. You're watching us. The whole conspiracy has you in now. No, doesn't it? Well, I'm not going to stand for this. Get out of my house. She stormed into Jason's room, opened up a suitcase, started throwing all of his things in there. And he's screaming, fine, you want me out? That's fine. He starts helping her pack the suitcase. Matt, on the outside, is getting more and more nervous, okay? He's like in the other room, like, what's going on, right? He starts petting the family dog to try to calm himself down. And then he hears a thump. And he stays put. Jason comes out and says, I just strangled mom. I kicked her to the floor and I strangled her. I don't know what to do. We need to check her pulse. So Matt rushes over, checks her pulse, see if she's breathing. She's dead. Well, now what, Jason? What, what happens next? Well, we're just going to have to take care of it, just like the Sopranos. Matt knew exactly what that meant. And he's like, oh, God, that's horrible. I can't do that. I know, Matt. I know it's horrible, but there's nothing else I can do. We have to get rid of this body. So Jason starts sobbing and he's like, dude, I just want to kill myself. And Matt's Matt's trying to calm him down. You can't do that. I need you. Please don't do that. So Jason ends up driving to grab some supplies. He gets gloves, trash bags, bleach, Mountain Dew, some gum. And he pulls out a butcher's knives and shearing scissors from the kitchen, picks up Jane's body, drags her into the bathroom, and he braces himself as he starts sawing at her neck. He ends up taking off her head, decapitating her, taking off her hands, and he rolls her decapitated naked body into a sleeping bag and places it in his trunk. Now, he tells Matt, we got to get rid of the we got to get rid of the body. Let's go. So they drive on the coast of a beach town that they used to live in, and that's when Jason spots a giant dumpster, dumpster in front of a house, like one of those houses that are being constructed, renovated. So he's like, "Okay, this is where we do it. This is it, Matt. We got to dump her here." So they get out of the car, they open up the trunk. They're literally taking out a sleeping bag with their mom's body in it when a security officer says, hey, what are you guys doing at this hour? It's almost 2 a.m. What are you guys doing? We're just dumping some trash. We can't dump trash here. You have to pick it up back up and leave. Oh, okay. Sorry. Let's pick it up, Matt. Let's get it back in the car. Now, the security guard had saw them pick up a rolled sleeping bag. I mean, something felt off about the whole thing. So he says, hey, stop. Put the bag down. I want to see what's in there. Jason didn't listen. He said, no. I'm not letting you. And they place it back into the trunk. They slam it shut. The security guard grabs his gun, points it at them, and is like, freeze. And Jason says, fuck you. You're just a security guard. You can't do shit. And he gets into the car, and they drive off. Now, the guard did not shoot, but he did take note of the license plate number, and he called the police. So Jason knew that he was screwed. He was exhausted. So he thought the only place to dump the body was a nearby cliff. Just throw her off the cliff. And that's exactly what he did. 
So the next day, they go on with life as normal. Matt goes to school. Jason spends the entire day cleaning up the apartment. He still had no idea where to put the hands or the head. Jason starts slowly getting rid of all the things that Jane had, even her clothes, moved into the master bedroom, hung up a poster from The Sopranos show, and it was just the phrase, bada bing. He starts inviting his friends over to his place to watch the game. He lets Matt have his friends over. But the investigation into Jane Batista was already on way. The security guard had given the police the license plate, also the description of the two guys, and the detectives show up to school to talk to Jason on campus. They had found a body at the bottom of the ravine, so they're like, okay, well, maybe this is Jane Batista. So they asked Jason, we're concerned for your mom's safety. Do you know where she might be? Oh, I don't know. Maybe in Corona with her boyfriend. She has a different boyfriend every week. She just tells us that she's gone for a while. I make sure to pay the bills and that's about it. Can you describe your mom for me? Oh, yeah. She's uh, five foot four inches, maybe 120 pounds soaking wet. Now, the police were confused because they thought they had the wrong body. The description was off. Jason was lying. Mm. Does she have any tattoos, Jason? Oh, yeah. She's got a, a sun on her back and some Chinese characters. Okay. Yeah, one of her boyfriends is like a tattoo artist or whatever. The police knew Jason was lying. He was not a good liar. Well, when's the last time you saw your mom? And he starts changing his story. No, it was this day. No, it was that day. One of the officers finally confronts him. Jason, I think you're lying to me. We know a lot more about what's going on than you think we know. We know quite a bit, actually. So you're not under arrest, but we are going to take your car. We're going to search your apartment, get a warrant for it. Is that okay? Yeah, I mean, of course, I, I'd love to help. I want to find my mom, too, if she's missing. But Jason was panicked because he had never gotten rid of his mom's head or hands. So he says, well, wait, before we go, actually, actually, um, can I just say something? Sure, Jason, go ahead. Well, when I was young, my dad committed suicide. And, you know, all I ever do is work hard to make something out of myself because my mom's crazy. All these pe She thought all these people were out to get her. She thought all of Mexico was out to get her. I mean, I, I just I, I always think about committing suicide. We're moving around all the time. I was so depressed. And that day she was getting paranoid again. And she had came at me with a knife accusing me. I thought I was going to die. So I got her down. And I don't know. I'm, I'm a big guy. I use my strength. And well, she died. He came clean about the entire thing, except for the part where he said that murder was in self-defense. But that's not true. Because Jason had actually told his brother Matt the way that he was going to kill his mom was to get her mad. So that he could try to get a self-defense plea. Hmm. He even told them that he cut off her head and her hands and they took him to jail. The police also arrested Matt and questioned him. And um, he just said, yeah. I hated her. I loved her, but I hated her. And I think that she deserved it. So Jane's family, they were mortified when they found out. But Nellie, Jane's mom, flew out, hired the best attorneys money could buy, supported Jason and Matt through the whole ordeal. And it's honestly kind of her fault. If I were to put the most blame on people, it'd obviously be Jason, the killer. But it would also be Jane's parents because they had seen the warning signs from the get-go before she even had children. That, but they're paying for the son? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I think maybe it's guilt because they should have done something and maybe the kids wouldn't have been pushed to this, you know, place yeah. where they felt that they had to do that. I'm not sure. I am not a Jason sympathizer. I know a lot of people might be, but he had no remorse afterwards. He actually bragged about it. So People Magazine had written an article about him. He was on the cover. This case was on the cover and he was bragging about it to people. Yeah, in prison. He was like, oh, I'm the one on the cover of People Magazine. I'm the one that killed my mom. 
Jose saw in the news what happened. And that's when he's like, oh, my God, that's my kid, Matt. So he finds him. And Matt was really upset. He visits Matt in jail. And Matt says, why didn't you find me sooner? Why didn't you save me? You knew what she was like. And you just let me live with her. Now, Jose was the only consistent visitor for Matt, which was really good because he was getting wrecked pretty hard in jail. Everyone called him the mommy killer because he was so young. So not the mom killer, but like the mommy killer. Like it's just meanwhile, when he met Jason after weeks of Jason avoiding Jose, Jose said he was so shocked at how alike Jason was to his mom that he hated. They were both smart, secretive, private and hard to get to know. And it just seemed like they both had different little motives under the surface. So in 2003, they have um, their case, their trial. Matt was now 17. Jason is 22. And Matt agreed to testify against his brother so he could be tried as a minor. And he told the court that Jason had planned to kill Jane. And Jason was pissed about this. He actually started a rumor letting everyone know in prison that his brother was um, a snitch. So putting his brother's life in danger in prison. During Jason's court hearing, he played up the self-defense card, saying that she came at me with a knife. I had to tackle her to the ground. But it didn't matter because Jason was found guilty of first-degree murder. And he was shook. He expected to get manslaughter. He was given 25 years to life. Matt was sentenced to time served. And he wrote to his defense attorney, thank you for giving me a second chance at life. When he was released, he went to live on with his dad, Jose, who told him that you need to follow the rules, okay? These are the rules of the house. You need to do exactly as I say. Matt got his GED. He started helping his dad run the family business. And it seemed like a lot of people in the system, even like the judges, the police officers, the prosecutors, they were very happy to see Matt go. They did feel like he truly didn't know his brother was going to murder his mom. He was so young. He had a whole life ahead of him. He didn't love his, like he loved his mom. He wanted to be free from his mom, but he didn't kill her. He also didn't wish death upon her, you know? Jason, however, he lost his appeal, mainly because he never showed any remorse. And he could have walked away prior to the murder. He had jobs. He had money. His school was offering him a dorm. So he's still in prison today. That is the story of Jane Batista and the Batista family. I don't know what to say. I mean, this whole thing is so sad because I see, I mean, I have sympathy for the kids. It's always hard for the kids to be in this situation. You know, they're brought into this world and they're like, what the heck? I got dealt these really crappy cards. But, you know, I really do blame Jane's family more than anything. It's not like they didn't have the resources. It's not like they didn't have the time. Nellie was a stay-at-home mom. It's not like she didn't show these signs. She did. So I think that that's really, I think Jane's family failed her first and then she failed her kids. What are your thoughts on this? Oh, and also the fact that Nellie is very like crazy about what other people think about her family. I don't know. Maybe that was the reason that she didn't want to get help for Jane. That's kind of my inkling. What are your thoughts? Let me know. And I hope you guys enjoyed and I'll see you guys on Sunday for the mini-sode. Bye.